Again, want to welcome everyone here this afternoon. Glad you could join us. And if you are like visiting us for the first time, I know sometimes it feels like you're dropping in on someone else's party. And uh, you may wonder sort of what's going on, uh, why we do what we do. And uh, as I said in the uh, introduction, please just feel free to ask somebody if you do have any question like that. Um, we definitely like to talk about what we believe around here. And so we can enjoy that, uh, that opportunity. You know, I'm calling today's lesson the H factor, mortality and morality. Um, you know, I think we're all familiar with the X factor. And uh, it's a fun show. You know, X in mathematics typically represents something that's unknown. Okay, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a value itself, but there could be a value there. So, you know, there's this show called The X Factor. It's a lot like Britain's Got Talent, which uh, actually I really enjoy because I have a daughter named Britain. So every time I see the title Britain's Got Talent, it just reminds me about my daughter. But, um, you know, The X Factor is all about these people standing up in front of a, uh, uh, an audience and some judges. And really the question is, do they have it? You know, what is the X? What is the unknown? Well, you know, we are human beings and no, not one of us here, one thing we all have in common, no one here asked to be born. In fact, when you got born, you didn't even realize you were being born. If you did, you wouldn't have liked it. If you knew, if you known what was, was, birth was going to feel like, I'm sure you would have stayed in the womb. But, uh, but the truth is, uh, you know, each one of us was born and began a life that in fact uh, would begin with learning. We would begin to reflect on, our, on ourselves. And, you know, human beings are very different than other, other animals. Uh, biologically, there's similarities. And uh, even l- different sorts of animals have uh, 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 language abilities so they can communicate with each other. Uh, but no, no animal communicates as human beings do. No animals sit around and they may send each other signals, but they don't tell each other stories. They don't make appointments. Tomorrow at noon, we're going to meet up. Or, you know, they don't say, oh, remember yesterday that lion was really scary. Like, you know, they're not having these kind of conversations. If the monkeys do have a signal word for lion, it wouldn't be pleasant if you tell the story. Because the moment all the other monkeys heard the word lion, they'd all be running for the top of the trees. But we have an ability as human beings to reflect on our lives. To think about Life. Now, we also have an ability to get so busy with life that we don't take time to reflect. And then also, we also have the ability to make a decision not to reflect because we don't like what we're reflecting on. With the life that we have seen and that we're experiencing, to be quite honest, we're not enjoying and so we try to distract ourselves and engage ourselves in other things. So there, there's, a, there's an H factor, there's a humanity factor that I just want to share a little bit about today. And we're going to do this by looking in Ecclesiastes. So let's, um, if you open up your Bible right to the middle, maybe you're visiting with us and you wouldn't know where this is, but if you open up your Bible right in the middle, you, you usually come to the book of Psalms and Ecclesiastes is just two books after that. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And this book was written by Solomon who is said to be the wisest person that ever lived, though uh, Jesus said when he, once he arrived that someone wiser than Solomon had come. Now the sad thing is, Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave it to him. 
And I don't know if I should have done this or not. I, I spent some of my Christmas holidays reading about the story of Solomon in the scriptures. And it was actually quite discouraging. And, uh, you know, I, I wanted a more encouraging story. But despite his wisdom, Solomon got more interested in the world than he did in staying focused on God. And uh, people try to speculate when he wrote his books. But I'm thinking they were somewhere in the early middle of his life. Really not near the end. He had this wisdom to start with. But the funny thing is sometimes we know something and we know it's right. But that doesn't mean we do it. It still takes character. It still takes a decision to do the right thing that we know we should. So there's a lot of wisdom in Ecclesiastes. But I won't say that uh, Solomon's example is one that we should follow to the end. So it says here in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. There is a time for everything. And a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now just looking at one of those, it just jumped out at me. A time to keep and a time to throw away. If you ever want to clean out your house, invite Scott Bryden over for the afternoon. If, If there's a condition called being a hoarder, then Scott's got the opposite condition. And it's just a very helpful thing, you know. If Scott cleans out a cupboard... Believe me, suddenly there's space you just didn't know about. But it says here there's a time to keep and a time to throw away. So there's time to hoard a little, but then there's time also to clear things out. You know, it's interesting when we read through this, because in normal human life, it's made, it's made up of contradictory activities. Like there's a time for opposite things to be going on. And, and that's kind of interesting because, I don't know about you, but, but I like things to be stable. I like things to be predictable. I, I, like, I like my friends and relationships and everything to be predictable. You know, but, but here it's saying, life isn't that predictable. First of all, there's a time to be born and a time to die. And, you know, we didn't choose the time of our birth. And, uh, you know, in all honesty, most of us won't, I'd say probably all of us here won't choose the time of our death. You know, this just begins something major. Is birth and death major? I'd say they're the two biggest things happening in our lives, right? You know, it's the beginning and the end of life here on earth. And yet the truth is, it's something that goes on without our decision. It's part of being human. A time to plant, a time to uproot. You know, these are there's cycles of things. I grew up on a farm. And there was a time to do certain things. And so there's a time to plant, and then there's a time to get rid of the old plants so there's space for the new plants. You know, there's sometimes the things that we do are associated with circumstance. There is a time to weep. There are things worth crying about. But then there's a time to laugh. You know, and, and it's, just, it's just great to laugh because something truly is encouraging and funny and joyful. You know, but a great number of the things that, that are mentioned here are actually things that we make choices about. 
And just to, to read off the pairing, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to scatter stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, a time to refrain, a time to search, a time to give up, keep, throw away, tear, mend, be silent, speak, love, hate, war, peace. These are all connected to decisions that we make. And sometimes it's hard to know, well, what time is it? You know, what, it, what should I be doing right now? Do you ever find yourself thinking that? Like, what is the right thing to do in these circumstances? And I'll tell you, if you, if you want to boil down life to just simply a few set of, a few rules and follow them, it's not going to work. Because circumstances and opportunities, they change constantly. So from a practical wisdom point of view, we'll talk about the spiritual side of things. Because there is a right spiritual way to live. But there's no one single right, just sort of knowledge way to live. That, that's not what's going to solve or give us the fullest life possible. How do we know what time it is? You know, the, back in the uh, 50s, Back when, you know, psychology was really growing as a field of study uh, and people were doing a lot more thinking about it. One of the things that came up in psychology, sociology was situation ethics. And the question became, is there really right and wrong? And it all depends on the situation. And if you look at the scripture, you almost think, well, maybe there's a little truth in that. But maybe the truth is the situation itself, there's, there's actions need to consider their context. But does that really make something right or wrong? Wisdom is knowing the difference between right and wrong. Wisdom is knowing when to do the right thing. And this is something that the New Testament talks a lot about, just that we should seek wisdom, we should pray for wisdom, we should pray for each other that we can be wise. We should learn from each other. The book of Proverbs is a book of wisdom, and uh, there's about a thousand Proverbs in there. It's a a pretty big book, but it's pretty interesting, too, because it doesn't say that the wise man gives advice in the book of Proverbs. It says the wise man seeks advice. The wise person is the one that is looking for answers. And so we need to be seeking. And as Christians, this is something we look to God's word to give us help in. Let us look over in the New Testament for a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Romans 12, 1 and 2. There's actually some conditions to knowing God's will. If we don't fulfill these conditions in our hearts, we're never going to fully know His will. Now, if you, if you don't read God's Word, and that's kind of... Well, we'll, we'll go get there in this point. But, but God's will directly reveals His will. God's Word directly reveals His will. But the question really is, do we want to know? Do we really want to know God's plans? Look in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices... Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. You know, we just celebrated the communion. And we know that God, to save us, gave up everything. He gave His Son as a sacrifice for us. And in view of His mercy, in other words, that offer of of grace through Jesus, 
It's pretty easy then, or as easy as it can ever be, to give back to God, to offer back to God ourselves. God has given us everything in Christ. We can offer ourselves back. And it says this is our spiritual act of worship. True worship to God is treating God like God. Is appreciating Him for who He is. Our Maker, the Creator of the universe. This is true worship. So do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know, put these two verses together. There's two conditions to knowing God's will. One is, you've got to be willing to surrender yourself. You won't know God's will. You won't know it in your heart. You might know it in your head, but you won't know it in your heart. And it won't affect your life unless you're willing to give up your will. And that's a renewing of our mind. And we need to be transformed, it says, in our thinking. And that's really where the scriptures come in and prayer in our relationship with God. You know, spiritual thinking doesn't come naturally. Material thinking is what comes easiest. And many of the spiritual truths of the scriptures are explained to us through material examples. And we even learn ourselves through material things and through the life that we live. You know, uh, spiritual hunger, does, does that make, is that an understandable concept to be spiritually hungry? Why do we understand that? Anyone feeling a little bit of hunger yet? Just uh, aware that dinner time's approaching and, you know, you know, your body's telling you, maybe, or if it's not soon, sorry to remind you of that. I didn't mean to provoke that thought in your mind. But, but you, we all know what physical hunger is. Our body's saying, I need nourishment. I need some fuel. But see, spiritual hunger is just the same thing. That our spiritual being needs some fuel, needs something to gain energy from. And, and we can feel spiritually hungry. We learn about the spiritual through the physical. Look over in James chapter 1. The Bible points us to prayer as a way of learning about God's will. But again, what's interesting is there's, we've got to have the right attitude in our prayer. If we're going to understand God's will, we've got to be willing to give up our own. We've got to be willing to be changed in our thinking. Look in James 1, we'll pick this up in verse 5. It says, If any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Okay, that's pretty encouraging. If you lack wisdom, ask God and it will be given. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should never think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. You know, the easiest example for me to think of this in practice is if I really want something, therefore I'm asking God, make this happen in my life. You know, and uh, you know, I think back, he finally did give me what I really wanted and even more than I could have imagined in my wife Tammy. But I do remember, you know, growing up as a teenager, you know, wanting this girl as a girlfriend or wanting to build this kind of relationship. And, you know, you, you really want that. But the funny thing is, it's hard to take no for an answer, right? You're asking, and you're asking someone, hey, 
Do you want to build a relationship together? And they say no. And they're like, well, maybe you didn't hear me. You know, maybe we need to talk. Maybe you didn't quite understand my question. Or, or maybe you don't quite understand what I'm offering. You know, I, I don't know. But, you know, the point is, if I've got my will right there, like I really want this to come true, it's hard for me to hear the answer no. I think that's one of the easiest ways of seeing how the scripture works. When we pray to God seeking his will, are we willing to hear the answer no or maybe late, maybe later? You know, because that's a legitimate answer, right? If you ask a question, yes and no are both legitimate answers. But see, if we ask God, are we willing to hear a no? No's are difficult. But if we are spiritual in our thinking, and if we are willing to put God's will ahead of our own, we can accept even a no. I must admit, I'm so glad that all the others said no before Tammy. But I wasn't happy in the moment. But I'm very happy now. (laughs) You know, do you understand how that works? God knew what I need much more than I did. And so the things, we think, oh, I need this job. God, give me this job. You know, this job is everything. Really? Do we we know that for sure? No, give me this relationship. Give me this... I mean, we can talk about all these things that we want. But really, we need to seek wisdom. And there's more important decisions than just material things. Relationship, family, children. You know, these are big questions. And we really need God's wisdom as we go through our lives. But let's just talk about the scripture for a moment. Look over in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, as I, as I say that, it's, it's assuring to hear this rattling of paper. Okay? Now I know that some are doing it electronically. And I'm surprised if some of those phones and tablets don't even make little paper noises as you go through the pages, you know. But, but the fact is, we're looking in the scripture because we believe that God has placed truth. He's inspired this written word. And yes, human hands wrote it and human hands copied it. And it's come down through the ages. But in it is a truth inspired of God. Look what he says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. You know, we need to, it takes some work to understand the Bible. And sadly, you know, people, the first thing they, they, they say, oh, I think I'll read the Bible. And they open up maybe to the New Testament. And it just so happens that Matthew chapter 1 is a genealogy of Jesus. And so, you know, by the time you've read, you know, somebody begot somebody 16 times, you're kind of like, okay, no, that's not what I was looking for. I don't know why that's that way, but it is a, just a little test maybe, you know. But the truth is, Study to show yourself approved. That's a challenge to all of us. To really know what the scriptures say. You know, if you look a little further in 2 Timothy, look in chapter 3, verse 16. It says, All scripture is God-breathed 
and useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture. You know, back in 1 Timothy, Paul quoted already from the Gospel of Luke in 1 Timothy, which is another part of the New Testament. In other words, it was already being written down. And Peter tells us that people would distort Paul's teaching as they did the other Scriptures. In other words, Scripture is both the Old Testament and the New Testament together. We have Scripture. It is all God-breathed. There is power of God and intent of God in every word. And it actually trains us and teaches us. And this is a pretty high calling right here. It says, the man of God might be, may be, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Well, that means you know what to do in every circumstance. Thoroughly equipped. You know the answer. You've been given that wisdom. So it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. God's Word is what's going to transform us. You know, I think uh, one of the saddest things about Christianity, if we look at it sort of globally, universally, is all the division. And it's really sad as as, uh, people look at sort of the Christian world and they, they can just see thousands of Christian denominations. Now, the original denominations, for the most part, were based on culture and language. That's what sort of started to divide orthodoxy. That's where the Roman Catholic Church came from, Greek Orthodox. These were more about language than almost anything else. But they also became about politics. You know, the last 200 years, it's been more about individuals, charismatic people who are able to draw people to them and establish their own church. And churches are even named after human beings. It's supposed to be the Church of Christ. And we have today the Lutheran Church, but I want a little disclaimer. Luther asked them not to call themselves Lutherans. But, well, in that one thing, we're not going to follow you. Let's be Lutherans. That's what they call themselves. I mean, we live in a very strange world, to be honest. But the sad thing is, the reason there's so much division is because there's so much ignorance about what the Bible really says. What does the Bible say? And the more we understand the scriptures, the more, in fact, our unity will be based not on human opinion, not on personality, not on politics, not on language, but based on truth and based on the power of God. You know, in 1 Corinthians, and you can read these later, the scriptures are in the notes, but it talks about there being division in the church because people were following personality and not following the truth themselves. And the one verse I want to read, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 4 to 7, Paul spent three chapters of this letter talking about himself and some of the other teachers that had been participants in building the Corinthian church. But he's trying to get them to see that they're just servants, they're just men. Don't play favorites this way. And he says this in chapter 4, verse 4, 1 Corinthians, My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. That's always a good disclaimer. It's good to have a clear conscience. The Bible encourages you 100% to have a clear conscience. But the truth is, even when I'm convinced 100% I'm right, that doesn't make me right. God is right. You go a little further, and it says, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness 
and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God, which is the only important thing. Verse 6, Now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For what? For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? You know, it's the scripture that unifies us doctrinally. All scriptures God breathed. It's believing this that makes us one mind and one attitude. And so this is a, it's a challenge. It was a challenge for the first century church. It's a challenge for us today. To be devoted completely to God's word. Now let's go back now into Ecclesiastes. Because that first passage we read in Ecclesiastes 3 really taught us that you know we need wisdom to know when the right time is. You know, one of the other aspects of being human is this sense of time itself. You know, time, we, we think a lot about time, don't we? We think about a lot about what happened in the past. We think about a lot of what might happen in the future. In fact, sometimes the past and the future can distract us from living in the present, which isn't very effective. But look what it says here in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 9 to 15. What does the worker gain from his toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on men. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there's nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere Him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. You know, it's interesting. We all have a sense of time. And, uh, you know, as we all work in what a various employment that we're in, or maybe we're students and we're waiting for our loan to come in, whatever, you know, we all know that there's things that we're looking forward to that we're dependent on. And so we're in the flow of time right now, each one of us. And we always are toiling for some kind of purpose. But do you ever feel like life seems a little meaningless? You know, Andrew here, he's been working on an essay for two days. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, you were talking in the car on the way here. You know, it's like, what am I doing this essay for? You know, you know the deadline's tomorrow night and, you know, you, you feel that pressure. But, you know, there's a moment you think... How, why did I ever commit to this? Do you know what I'm saying? You know, why did we buy a house and not an apartment? Now I have a lawn to cut and a garden to take care of. And believe me, you don't have to have a green thumb to have a big garden, a growing garden in England. You just have to have a green thumb for it to grow in a coordinated kind of way. It'll grow no matter what. It'll grow. You know, the question is, there's some things we get involved with And we have a sense of, is this really worthwhile? Well, God's put eternity in our hearts. And there's even a question, what's after this life? You know, in this life, if you really want to look at it in the most simplistic of terms, God is giving us a choice to make by faith 
either to receive His grace or not. That, that is the choice. And that, that's all what it's about. And once you've actually understood that truth and received it, you can live out this life in a great confidence knowing, I already know the biggest truth about life. But you know, we, we are stuck in time, aren't we? God's put this sense of eternity, and it really is the test of things. You know, we need to put our hope in eternal things, not material things. You know, you buy something materially, and it just disappears in no time. You know, um, Scott was sharing about Job in the communion today. There's two things that Job said when he was being tested by God, and a lot of hardship came his way. The first thing he said is, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. He didn't say, I worked for it and the Lord took it away. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Well, then in chapter 2, God took a few more things away from Job. And his wife said, you know what? He, it's so funny. He took away his children, took away his, like all these stuff, but left his wife. <laughs> and in Job 2, verse 6, his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? Well, we see why, you know, she wasn't taken away. She was part of the test at that moment. But you know what Job answered? Job said, shall we accept good from God and not trouble? See, as we, as we look at our lives, I, I challenge you to think about this idea of eternity. Do you believe there's something more than this physical world that we are in right now? Do you believe that that with physical death, it's just all over? Or in fact, is there a sense that there must be something more? And you might say, well, Andy, that's just wishful thinking. We don't know for sure. That's why we have the scriptures. To reveal the truth about these things for us. You know, let's just close in, in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 16. Solomon says, I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. It's sad, but uh, nothing's changed much in 3,000 years. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. And there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. I also thought, as for men, God tests them. So they may see that they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from the dust and to the dust all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth. So I saw that there's nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work Because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? You know, he had said back in chapter 2 that even seeking wisdom was vanity. And I think what Solomon's doing here is he's describing the question, but he's not giving us the answer, is he? You know, for all his seeking of wisdom, I just wish he'd read more thoroughly the Psalms of his father. Because what David talked about repeatedly in the Psalms was that he was looking forward to an eternal dwelling with God. David spoke about heaven. 
And when things got rough for David, he talked about his relationship with God and his hope of heaven. And those things carried him through. But in human wisdom, just what we can measure, what we can see, Solomon is saying, you know, we look just like the animals. We, we are born and we die. And really, it just keeps going and going and going. What good is it? But Solomon could have also said, as for men, God tests them so they may see they're not like the animals. We are not like the animals. No animals have gathered today to worship God somewhere. They, they, they didn't do that. They, they didn't think about that. You know, our dog I know is sleeping in a chair in the living room right now. Okay, that's where she is, and she's happy, and and it's nice and peaceful there. But she's not thinking. There's no thoughts of God. There's no thoughts of eternity. There's nothing like what goes on in our hearts. You know, animals have problems in relationships too, but. I think ours are much more complicated. You know, animals get hungry too, but, you know, their lives, they they usually live in an ecosystem that somehow will provide for them fairly easily, etc. You know, we all moved off the farm, we live in the city, and now we have to go somewhere else to buy our food, and blah, blah, blah. You know, we're, we're living in a world that we've made. And it's different than that that the animals live in. And I think the truth is we know there's something more to life than simply the physical life that we see. When you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, it asks some good questions, but it really doesn't supply the answer only as much as it points us back towards God. Because the answer to life is with God. We're going to close by listening to a well-known song. I, I, I think it's pretty well-known, even though it is this year 50 years old. Um, it was in 1965, and it's called uh, Turn, Turn, Turn. But uh, it was written, it's kind of a folky song, uh, before rock and roll really kicked in. Uh, but in this song, it's just actually written. It's What really encourages me, it was very famous. And it was right at the sort of the beginning, sort of the, the hippie peace era. And at the end, when he says a time for peace, he added something to the words that he didn't anywhere else. He goes, and please let there be peace. He kind of goes, you know, it was the peace child time. But you know, what, what I did was I took this song and then took some pictures of our church that we'd done a, a few years ago for one of our anniversary celebrations. And just put this song beh- behind these pictures. And just wanted us to think about this life that we have. Because though there is difficulty... There's great joy. And there's been time for mourning, but there's also time for rejoicing. And there's a time for throwing away stones, but there's time for gathering them in. There's time for everything. And God really wants us to enjoy this life. But understanding, of course, the most important. It's choosing Him for eternity. Let's uh, listen together. And the worship team can come and take their place at this
thank Andy for those encouraging words and the presentation. If you can all stand for a closing song, please. Praises around the world.